Um, and as I mentioned earlier, this is a family service, which basically translates to, uh, I'm not going to preach as long as I normally do, uh, you're welcome. And so we realize, obviously, with kids here, we just kind of need to do things in a little bit different way, and uh, hopefully uh, the slides will reflect that. You'll see in just a second here, the slides are going to look a little bit different than we typically have here on Sunday mornings. But what I want to do before we jump in, uh, we're going to actually continue our teaching series through the Gospel of Mark um, as we've been going through this. But what you'll kind of find is that last week we looked at the Gospel of Mark. We specifically ended off on this particular section where it talks about uh, Jesus being worshipped by Mary. She broke open this uh, perfume. And then there's some verses that we're actually going to skip. I'm actually going to be leaving for New Zealand on Tuesday. So you guys can be praying for myself as well as my daughter who will be going there preaching at a, a pastor's conference. Uh, but next week you guys will have Pastor James who's a great teacher, great encourager. Uh, you guys don't want to miss it. He'll actually be carrying on the passage that we'll be skipping over this week. Uh, and you'll see why next week we're going to be skipping that this week and then going on to another passage that's sort of uh, in the same line of this. But today we'll be taking a look at the subject matter that has to do with what's called the Lord's Supper. And it's a time in Jesus' ministry where he gathers together with his disciples and has a meal with them. And he's going to talk to them about how significant, how important this meal is. And then what we'll do today at the end of the message is we will actually partake in that same meal together. We'll take of it together as we finish with some songs of worship. So we're going to do communion a little bit differently than we've done it in the past. Uh, but the reason why is because uh, it's a meal which Jesus institutes and it's something in which we recognize while we're in this particular passage of the chapter uh, that we'll want to really take Jesus' words and do it and really truly do it. So that's what today will look like. I'm going to pray and then we'll get to work taking a look at this. So before I pray, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm going to need some volunteers, uh, particularly younger volunteers, say between ages 3 to age, uh, let's say 12, especially if you had a birthday in the past, let's just say three months, okay? So be thinking about that, and when I'm done praying, I'm going to ask you to maybe consider coming on up here, and uh, i got some questions I'm going to ask you. Is that good? We're going to interrogate you, not in a weird way. Good questions. All right. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, right now we ask for your help. We need your wisdom. We need your insight. And we need your, uh, just your strength to be given to us. So we just commit this time in your hands. Pray that you'd be glorified in it. And uh, open your word to our hearts. And open our hearts, God, to your word and to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Any volunteers, any takers? You had a birthday, pay, say, within the past uh, three months. And you're between ages three to, let's say, 12. Anybody? Anybody, you want to help me out? Okay, come on up, come on up. You want to come on up? Come on up. All right, we've got two takers. All right, got to get a mic here. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Next week, nice. Okay, here's what we're going to do. So I need you guys to speak into the mic. I'll hold it for you, though. Uh, tell me what your name is and tell me when your birthday is. My name is Ari, and my birthday is... December 1st. Nice. That's my daughter's birthday. Good knuckles. It's awesome. How old are you going to be? 10. 10. Good job. What about you? What's your name? My name is Ben, and my birthday is August 16th. Nice. How old were you? Six. Six. Good job, man. That's awesome. Thanks for coming up here and uh, being able to talk a little bit. You guys nervous? No. You guys are... 
You guys are naturals, huh? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about today a subject that Jesus talks about, but we'll get to that in just a second here. And what we're going to look at is kind of, I want to kind of create a picture. And the idea is that it's like a birthday party. We celebrate birthday parties. You guys have birthday parties? Okay, tell me what you're hoping to do for your birthday party. Have, I'm going to have a sleepover. You're going to have a sleepover? Okay, cool. Are you hoping to have anything else along with that? I don't know. Any presents or yeah. food or anything like that? I don't know. You don't know. Okay. What did you do for your birthday? Anything special? Water balloon fight. Whoa. <laughs> nice. bet your mom and dad were stoked, huh? <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Did you have anything else? Any food or anything? Uh, yeah. You did? Okay, what'd you eat? A cake. Oh, a cake. Okay, that's it? Yeah. Only cake? All yeah. right. No hot dogs, nothing, just cake? Yeah. Nice. Okay, good job. All right, I'm going to show you guys a, a photograph or a picture that's going to be up on the screen, so why don't you take a look at that. We're going to talk a little bit about birthdays, all right? Maybe we can turn off the, uh, the, the blue lights. That'd be, if we're able to, that'd be great. Um, Okay, so this little picture that we have up here on the screen is obviously a picture of a birthday. So here's what I want to throw out to you, okay? So assuming I've never been to a birthday before, let's just say hypothetically, you guys know what hypothetically is? I'm using big words, sorry. Uh, let's just say that I've never, see I speak normally to an audience of bigger people. Uh, let's just say I've never been to a birthday party my entire life. I'm actually from the planet Mars, okay? So I'm assuming that. And I've never seen a birthday party. I have no idea what a birthday party is all about. Uh, I've just heard about them, and now we show up at a birthday party, and this is the birthday party that we end up getting into. So I want to ask you a couple questions about this, because I've never seen this before, and I want to know a little bit about birthday parties. So uh, maybe you guys can hold on to this. Or I'll hold on to it again. So tell me a little bit about a cake. Why are they eating cake, and why are they burning the cake? They put candles on it to show how old you're turning. Okay, so, so it's a birthday, right? So is this person born right now? No, it was just... The day he, he or she was It celebrates born. a day that they're born, right? Okay. Why do people wear pointy hats? Do you know why people wear pointy hats? It's kind of weird. Do people normally wear pointy hats? They're birthday hats, and that's what you wear on birthdays sometimes. It is? Okay. Do people normally wear birth, the, birthday hats like that every day? I mean, they walk around downtown and go to Starbucks and wear those hats? No. No? Just on birthdays, huh? Yeah. Okay. What, what's that big box in the middle that has a... I don't know, it looks like a bow or something like that on it. You know, what it's is it? It's a present. What do you do with presents? You open it and then there, um, someone gives you a present, it, like a toy or something. Why do people give presents on birthdays? I don't know. I stumped you. Do you have any idea? Why do people give presents on birthdays? Because it's your birthday and you have a lot of fun and you get stuff. Get, okay, you get a lot of stuff. All right, cool. All right. Um... All right, so the reality is, I mean, birthdays celebrate someone's birthday, right? Right? They celebrate someone's birthday. And do you celebrate birthdays alone, or do you have people come over? I have people come over. Yeah? Like, who do you have people that come over? Like, people you don't know, people that you know really well? What Friends. Kind of people? Friends? Friends, cousins. Friends and cousins? Who, who do you have come over to your birthday? One time I didn't have anyone. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you sad? It was kind of sad. Were you? Have you gotten over it? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's good. So you doing okay today? Yeah. That's good. Did this past birthday make up for it? What? Did this last birthday make up for that tough time? 
like when I was sick, where I first turned six or mm. something. That's cool, man. Well, that's great. Hey, I want to say thank you to you guys for uh, helping me out. Give these guys a round of applause. Thank you. So, obviously, like a birthday party, if you just dropped in on a birthday party, you've never been to a birthday party, you'd kind of be surprised. Like, you'd be kind of tripping out, like, what's going on here? Why do people wear weird hats? Why are people burning down cakes? And why are people opening up boxes with, you know, fancy paper on it? It doesn't make any sense to you. But if you're in that culture, and you know what a birthday is all about, it makes perfectly good sense. You're celebrating someone's birthday uh, depending on how many years they are, and you're celebrating that birthday with people that you love because you're in some sort of fellowship or relationship with these people currently. In a lot of ways, what we're going to see here in the passage that we'll read in just a second, um, what we see here in the story of Jesus, that Jesus is going to have a meal with his disciples. And the meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples is what's called the Passover meal. The Passover meal. Um, out of curiosity, maybe let's say young, any younger kids, you're going to have to shout really loud, uh, does anybody know what the Passover was all about? Anybody want to take a guess what the Passover was all about? You got to say it really loud. Any guesses? Might fan it out to the big kids. Any big kids know what the Passover was all about? You got to shout it out loud. Nobody knows what the Passover is, or we are just completely not confident. Just that's it. Okay. All right. I'll tell you what the Passover was so that we can remove this awkward silence. The Passover was obviously a meal that the Jews would celebrate every year. Very important meal. Now, let's say, for example, you've never known what the Passover was. Let's just assume you've never been to a Passover before and you end up dropping into a Passover and you've never been there before. You don't know what the Passover is, you've never heard of it, you've never even seen it, you don't know exactly what it is. So when you drop into this Passover, one of the things that you'll discover is that there's a lot of different cups and a lot of different unique types of food, and it's a family affair. Let's say you drop into the city of Jerusalem probably about uh, three or four days before the actual Passover celebration. What you discover is kind of what you discover Black Friday. People freaking out, buying stuff, bumping into each other, stressing out because they've got to buy as much as stuff that they can to be able to prepare for this unique special meal. And so after the hustle and bustle of purchasing, buying, striving, figuring out ways to buy all the stuff that you need, they would then gather together as a family around a table and then they would celebrate. Typically the, the ceremony would start off something like this. The younger child, the young kid, perhaps the youngest child of the entire family, let's say he's eight, he would ask uh, the question, and the question that he would ask would something, go something like this, why are we celebrating this day, this feast, on this particular day? Well, the oldest person in the family, probably a father or great-grandfather, would then speak up, and he would say something to this effect. He would say, this is the day that we celebrate that links us, that reminds us of the great day of what's called the Exodus, when God delivered his special people, his chosen people, out of the hand, out of the slavery, out of the tyranny of a guy by the name of Pharaoh. God delivered them through the hand of Moses. God delivered them through the terrors of the Red Sea. God brought them to be his own unique special people into a land of freedom. In other words, the Feast of Passover, for all intents and purposes, was a celebration of freedom. 
It was God's victory over their enemies. And so for hundreds, perhaps thousands, even to this day, Jews will celebrate the Passover. But like I said, for you and I who've never been to a Passover meal, it would seem kind of surprising, shocking. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to us. We'd ask a lot of questions because we're not really sure why people do certain things in the same way if a Martian were to drop into a birthday party and they wouldn't be aware. Why do people wear pointy hats? Why do they set cakes on fire? Why do they open packages? Why does mom seem so stressed? Why are all these things happening at a birthday party? And once somebody explains to you the story, it all makes sense. It all makes perfectly good sense. This is exactly what Jesus does with his disciples. And what we're going to see here in the story is that Jesus is going to have this meal with his disciples, and the meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples is actually what's called the Passover meal. This is what the story of Mark tells us. So I want to read to you the story, and then you can follow along, and then we'll begin to kind of make some observations with regard to it. And again, in the next slide, you'll see that what I've kind of done is I've tried to make this a little bit kid-friendly. So if you're wondering why there's pictures on there, that's why. That's my attempt to keep kids from falling asleep. So, let's read. The first verse we'll read is in verse 22. Uh, Next slide, we'll get there. Here we go. It says this. As they were eating, he, it's Jesus, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. Next slide. He says, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank, From it, and he said to them, This is my blood of a new covenant, which is poured out for many. And verse 25 says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink of it new in the kingdom of God. And this is what we typically call or traditionally call the Lord's Supper. Depending upon the particular background of the tradition you come from with regard to a Christian context, you'll either describe this as what's called a sacrament or an ordinance, meaning This is something that Christians do and have always done as a means of celebrating God's grace, God's kindness given to them. This is a meal. What I want you to notice, first of all, is in the story, is there's basically three things that we'll try to really try to understand with regard to the story. The first thing that we'll try to understand in terms of the context of the story is that the story of the Lord's Supper links us, connects us, first of all, with the past. It connects us with the past. In terms of a story or history. The word history can be taken and divided into two specific words. His story. The Passover meal that Jesus celebrates with his disciples connects the people that he's celebrating this with to the story of God. Now, it's very important to note why Jesus chose this day out of all days to go to Jerusalem and to celebrate the very final meal that he would have with his disciples. What's kind of unique to note with regard to Jesus is that Jesus realizes, because he's a fantastic teacher, he realizes that there's two different ways, at least two different ways, in which you can convey and communicate truths. You can convey and communicate truths on what we would typically call a Western Western perspective. This would mean similar to like a lecture, meaning you would sit down, you would take a book, you would open the book, and then you would begin to teach this book. It's kind of like the way oftentimes schools work in today's culture. Teachers teaching from the stage, or teaching from the front, or teaching from the desk, and they're just simply giving information. Jesus oftentimes, and there were times in which Jesus actually taught informationally. He gave information. 
But one of the most predominant ways in which Jesus taught was not just by giving out information, raw information, raw figures, raw stats, raw material. Jesus oftentimes taught by way of action. Jesus did things. Jesus acted things out. This is what Jesus did when he went into the temple and overthrew the money changers. Jesus was giving a teaching, not by lecture, but by action. What he was demonstrating was that God was going to bring a judgment upon the temple. And the way that he taught that message, again, was not by a lecture, but by Jesus acting out what God was going to do. Most scholars, in fact, almost every scholar, believes that this is exactly what Jesus is doing with the Last Supper. Jesus chose, out of any meal, in every meal that he could have had with his disciples, that the very last meal that he would celebrate with his disciples was, in fact, the Passover meal. Why? Why did Jesus choose the Passover meal? And why did Jesus say the things that he said in this Passover meal? What's unique about the Passover meal is that when Jesus sat down with his disciples and had this Passover meal, Jesus actually changed the way the Passover meal was done. In other words, when all the disciples would have been there on the table, for one, Jesus does not sit down with uh, his mom. His mom's not there. None of his, Jesus' typical family members are actually at this Passover feast. Every Jew throughout all history have always celebrated their Passover meals as a family. Dad would usually preside over it. You would have kids, grandkids running off uh, around the table, gathering together, and they would unite around the table and celebrate this meal. This meal was unique. And the other thing that's very unique about this meal is that when Jesus sits down and he takes one of the cups, he says of the cup, that this cup is my blood, which has been poured out for you. Then Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And what Jesus was doing would, would have completely shocked the disciples. Because when they would have heard Jesus say this, they would have looked around the room kind of stunned. Like, this is not the script. They would have looked at each other with puzzlement, thinking, this is not what our dad said. This is not how grandpa did the Passover. This is not the order of events, the way that Passovers have always been done by tradition up until this point. What Jesus was doing was something radically intentional and radically different. What Jesus was doing was he was rewriting history, the story of God, around himself. Jesus was placing himself in the center. But also at the same time, what Jesus was doing was he was describing by way, not by way of lecture, but by way of action. Broken bread, poured out wine, to basically say, you want to know what I'm about to do? This is what's going to happen. What will take place in the next 36 hours of my body being broken, of my blood being spilled, will look like this Passover celebration. But this Passover celebration also links you back to the story of the ancient Passover. Which in the ancient Passover, what you had was the children of Israel, God's people, who were slaves. They weren't free. God called his people to be free, but the people of Israel were not free. They were slaves. They were bound. Pharaoh had been their tyrant, their king, and he took advantage of them. He wasn't a good king. He didn't love them. He didn't care for them. He didn't seek their best interest. So as a result of that, the people of Israel were oppressed. They were crushed and they were broken. And what Jesus was saying was that his death would basically be a new Passover. 
a better Passover. One scholar wrote this, and I find this really fascinating the way he described this. The, way, the words that he used to describe this, he says, this Passover is the time when he will go as a greater Moses ahead of the 12. Jesus chose to decide or decided to have this Passover meal with 12, 12 of his disciples, which is very reminiscent of ancient Israel who had 12 tribes. He says that go ahead of the 12, ahead of Israel, ahead of the front of the world, in front of the world, into the presence of the greater slave master than Pharaoh, into a terror greater than walking through the Red Sea to lead the world to freedom. This Passover meal is going to explain more deeply than words ever could do what the death, what his death would accomplish. What Jesus was doing very clearly was acting out, demonstrating by way of action what he would be doing over the next 24 to 36 hours by being crushed. What he was saying is that God was establishing a new Passover, that Jesus would be the center of this. So first of all, this meal, the Lord's Supper, as we describe it, connects us with the past. It connects us to the history of God's people. The second thing that it connects us to is the present. In other words, it's a meal that connects us to a family. It's a meal that brings us in to become a part of the family. And as I already mentioned, Jesus has this meal, not with his mom there, and not with any of his other relatives that we're aware of there. Jesus is there with his disciples. Why? A lot of scholars, a lot of historians, a lot of uh, Bible teachers have questioned this and wondered this. And what most people have come up with is that what Jesus was doing was he was very clearly establishing and stating that this new exodus, this new work that Jesus was bringing about would actually bring about a new family. A new family where you don't have these distinctions. Where there's the rich people hanging out over there and there's the poor people sitting down in front on the floor. There's the... Asian people sitting over there, and there's the African-American people over here, and there's the white people over here like a prison yard, separated, distinct from each other, segregating themselves from one another. What Jesus is saying is that what his new meal, this new exodus that he was bringing about would accomplish, was that it was bringing about a new family. This is one of the reasons why, in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle actually wrote something to these, uh, this effect. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 29, He says, if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. What Paul is doing is he's talking to a group of people that were partaking of the communion, but the problem was is that there were all these distinctions, these separations, divisions. There are people hating on other people, and they were calling themselves Christians. There are people that were basically segregating or separating themselves from other Christians. And what Paul is saying is that this is actually shameful. And if you understand the work that Jesus did through the cross, then you would understand that all these separations, all of these distinctions, all of this sort of unreconciliation would actually be put in reverse. God would take it and turn it inside out. In other words, there shouldn't be people hating other people. There shouldn't be people separating themselves from other people. Old people shouldn't be separating themselves from younger people. Rich people shouldn't be looking down upon poor people. Poor people shouldn't be looking at rich people and somehow judging them or criticizing them. Asian people shouldn't be criticizing or critical of black people. Black people shouldn't be critical of white people or red people. People should not be critical of each other. If they understand what Jesus accomplished through the cross, through his death, that he created a new family. And what this basically means is that if 
for example, we are living, and we call ourselves Christians, and yet in our heart, there are people that we hate, that we despise, that we refuse to be reconciled to. Maybe because they have theological differences than us, so we have separated them. We've pushed them off into the margins. Or because they have a different skin tone than us, and we've pushed them off. Or maybe because they have different emotional needs than us, and so we shove them off to the side. Then what we are in effect saying is that we're denying the very purpose of Jesus' death for us, which was not to separate, segregate, push away, but to bring together, draw together one family under the banner of Jesus and what his death accomplishes for us. This is what Jesus intends for us to think about when we partake of the meal. In other words, not only does it connect us to the past, but also connects us to the present in terms of a family. And then finally, and I'm done, it also connects us to the future. And what this means is that Jesus finishes his whole little teaching. In verse 25, he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, it, drink of it anew in the kingdom of God. What Jesus, in essence, is saying is that this meal not only connects us to the story of the past, linking us to the great Passover, the great Passover narrative, but it also brings us into the present whereby we have a family with each other. There's people around us, everybody. Look around you. We are in a church, a group of people, different people, different races, different identities, different likes, different dislikes, different theological preferences. But in this room, in a church, there's one. We're a family that is united through the Lord's Supper, united through Jesus' death, and the Lord's Supper symbolizes and speaks to us about that. But then finally, the Lord's Supper also connects us to the future. And what Jesus is saying is that one day in the future, God will set all of the wrongs to right, and we will sit down and we will have a meal. We will sit down and we will have a meal with King Jesus presiding over this whole entire occasion. And we will sit down and have a meal with Jesus and all of Jesus' people from all ages, from all areas, all around the world, gathered together to celebrate the greatness of what he has done. One writer put it this way, God is taking the world somewhere. This is what God is doing. He has plans. He's promised to do for us, for all of us, and all of the whole world, what he did for Jesus after Jesus died. What did Jesus do after his death? He rose again. And this is exactly what this author is saying. He said that this God really does love the whole world and he wants to make it all alive in a brand new way like he did with Jesus on the first day of the week. In other words, this whole earth, this whole world is going somewhere. There are those that will respond to the work that God is doing and they will be transformed, they'll be changed. We call them Christians. There are those that will reject that, that won't want to be part of that, that won't want to be part of this work, this kingdom-building project that God is doing. But what Jesus is saying, what the Bible is describing, is that this meal reminds us of a future meal that we will one day have with King Jesus. When he comes into his kingdom, we'll sit down with him. I want you to think about that. This past week, we obviously celebrated Thanksgiving. For some of us, Thanksgiving was awesome. You had a great time. You enjoyed it. You were with people you really liked. You had food that you really enjoyed. For others of us, we may not have had family that we were with. For others of us, you may have had family, but you may not have really liked that family. And it was a little bit troublesome and difficult and challenging and hard. 
Maybe tears were shed. Maybe there was emotions and arguments that had arisen. But the reality is, is that what Jesus is saying, because of what he did on the cross, because of what took place on there, because of the great exodus that took place, whereby he freed us, not from Pharaoh, but from sin, death, and the devil. He's brought us into a new family, and because we're in this new family, one day we will celebrate a meal with Jesus in the end. I don't know about you, but some of my greatest memories in life are meals. Sitting down around the table with people I really enjoy, eating food I really like. I can go back in my memory bakes not too long, several years ago, and we went to, we took our staff out, a bunch of people, to a sushi restaurant. And we sat down, and we had these big, huge boats of food. All I remember, it was a boatload of food, several boatloads of food, and it was unbelievable. We sat on the ground, we sat around, just kind of reclined, and ate, and ate, and ate, and laughed, and ate a little bit more, and enjoyed each other's company and presence, and we ate a little bit more, and it was phenomenal. I will never forget that time. Because there's something about having meals, reclining. One other final thing is that the Passover meal was to be eaten while reclining. Jesus celebrated the Passover meal reclining. Why reclining? Reclining is the posture of people who are free. Slaves, they were forced to eat standing up. Free people, eat reclining. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that we eat this meal to remind ourselves of what he did for us, of the family he's brought us into, of the glorious hope that we have one day in the future. That's what this meal speaks of. And we're going to kind of wrap things up and partake together of the communion. What I want to do right now is I want to basically take the bread and take the cup and do kind of what Jesus did, at least sort of bring some picture to what Jesus was talking about. And what Jesus did, I have a loaf of bread up here. I'm going to actually break it in half because I'm going to need some for next service. So just act like this is one loaf of bread. And so what Jesus does is he takes the loaf of bread and he breaks it. And the reason why he does that is it's his way of basically saying, in order for you to eat, in order for everyone to eat, for, in order for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how poor you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what type of background you are, it doesn't matter. There's no discrimination within God's presence. No matter who you are, in order for you to eat, the bread has to be broken. As long as the bread remains whole, nobody eats. But if the bread's broken, everybody eats. This is Jesus' way of basically depicting, giving a story by way of an analogy, by way of a picture, that in order for everybody to eat, the bread has to be broken. And so what Jesus does is he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. I'll break it, and then you guys will have some communion in the back. He would take the bread and he'd break it like this. And maybe he would break it into another piece. And then he would begin to pass it around. And each of his disciples would take a piece of the bread and partake of it and eat of it. And they would be reminded of the fact of the great story. Because remember, when the disciples had the Passover with Jesus, they had no idea what Jesus was about to do. They had no idea the fact that he was going to die. They had no idea that just within a few short hours, he would be horribly crucified. But after Jesus rose again from the dead, they were able to look back and remember that story that Jesus taught them through the Passover and remember the fact that what Jesus was saying was that his death became their means 
becoming free people. And that's why we partake of the meal. That's why we eat the bread. When you take that little tiny piece of bread, it reminds us of the fact that, one, that tiny piece of bread came from a large hole. In order for you to get that tiny piece of bread, it had to have been broken. In order for you to have life, Jesus had to have been broken. That's the picture. Then he would have taken the cup, probably wine, and he would have taken the bread, and then he would have taken the cup and given it to his disciples, his Take this, each of you, and drink of it. This is my blood which should be shed, poured out for you. <clears throat> Up until that point, there was blood that was shed. It was the, it was the blood of a, of, a, of a lamb. And on the night of the Passover, they would take a lamb, they would slaughter the lamb. And this is probably, in some ways, kind of shocking for little kids because the week prior to the father taking the lamb and slaughtering it, the, the sheep actually became kind of like a house pet. Imagine like this tiny little lamb under a year old. I mean, they're, they're kind of cute. But imagine having a little lamb under a year old, perfect, spotless, beautiful, without blemish lamb, hanging around the house, sleeping with the kids, enjoying life in the family, and then dad coming back in with a dead lamb under his arms. Pretty traumatizing. But the point of the matter is, is that this was a way in which Jesus was locking himself in and linking himself to that story, saying, I am that lamb. That would be broken that would be shed that would give my blood that would have my blood shed for your remission of your sins to cleanse you what's amazing about jesus is that anytime anybody thinks of jesus they think of jesus just being awesome jesus was nice he was a good guy he always helped people always loved people always healed people always kind to people he was gentle like a lamb he was sweet and special and unique and kind like a lamb but what Jesus was saying by way of the story in the Last Supper, he was saying that this kind, gentle, sweet lamb would be horrifically slaughtered so that you who are oppressed, you who are under the tyranny of sin and death and the devil can be given life. This is what the Lord's Supper re reminds us of. I'm going to have Matt come on up. He's going to close us in a few songs of worship. But what I want to do is I want to invite you to worship God. If you're here today and you have your family with you, I would encourage you dads to lead your family in communion. And what I mean by that is go with your family, partake of the communion with your family, take the bread, and maybe you don't really know what to say, that's okay, just pray over your family. When you give the communion to your children, take the bread, you can dip it in the cup, don't drink out of the cup, just dip it in the cup, and then hold on to it and then give it to your kids, and make sure that your kids understand it. You know, ask them questions. Do you guys understand what this is all about? Do you understand what the bread speaks of? Do you understand what the cup re reminds us of? Ask them those questions. If they don't understand, just share with them real briefly what it's all about. And then pray over them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would be their strength. And pray that you guys would be a family that honors and loves Jesus. If you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're dating or maybe your roommates, do it together as a community. If you don't have that, if you have a community group, people that you're familiar with, people that you know, maybe do that together within a community group or other people that you are familiar with that you know. Celebrate it together. In a lot of ways, communion is not necessarily intended to be something that we do individually. I know, realize a lot of times we do it individually, um, but in reality, communion, the Lord's Supper, is oftentimes something to be done together as a family. So, even if you don't have anybody to do it with and you do it by yourself, we're still doing it all together and that's fine. Don't feel any type of guilt or shame or weirdness or whatever. But the point of the matter is I want all of us to 
and partake of it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, meaning you don't believe what Jesus did for you on the cross had really any significance or value to you, I want to invite you into that story. Because the most unbelievable picture of the cross is that it's not just simply a story given to a bunch of people that have done something really great. In fact, quite the opposite. What Jesus did for us on the cross was to do something for us that don't deserve it. Meaning we're deserving of judgment. We're deserving of everything that Jesus got. And yet what Jesus did for us is he took for us what we deserve in our place. He was crushed. He was broken. So that you and I who live our lives constantly crushed, constantly broken, oftentimes because of our own sin, can go free. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is a celebration of freedom. It's a freedom story. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done for you. So if you're not a Christian, I invite you to give your heart, give your life, give your confidence, place your trust in Jesus. If you are a Christian, I invite you to really examine your life, to think about, do you truly believe what Jesus has done for you? Are there people, relationships in your life that are broken, that are fractured? Say with other believers, people that claim to be Christians, but you intentionally, willfully go on hating, despising, disliking, keeping distance from certain people. If that's the case, I would encourage you. Maybe you don't want to partake in the communion without, first of all, investigating your life and making sure that you really understand what it's all about. Because the communion brings us into this family. It reminds us of the family that we have been brought into. So I'm going to pray. Matt will lead us in a few songs of worship. And as you feel led, if you feel ready, you can just go in the back. We have little three areas in the back, one by the cross, one back there, one back over there. Just partake of the communion, and then you can come back and sit down and just worship together as a family, and then we'll dismiss you guys. But I'm going to pray over us. Partake of communion together. We're singing a few songs. Dismiss you. Jesus, thank you for the cross. And right now we want to give our confidence and our love and our worship to you. So God, receive our worship, receive our praise. And as we partake of the communion together, God, remind us of the great love and the great hope and the amazing family that we've been brought into. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us on our behalf. Simply because you love us.